Hey there, I'm Sasha. I'm a doctor, I'm a mom, and I'm a founder. I believe that women are overwhelmed and exhausted. So I founded a company called Brave Enough. Brave Enough helps thousands of women find clarity, set boundaries, and gain control of their lives. So welcome, sit back, and let's get into the good stuff. In the next several months, we are going to be bringing in some amazing conversations. These are conversations that I recorded with leaders, entrepreneurs, women physicians, lawyers, business leaders, thought leaders, content experts for the summit of 2020. And the conversations were so phenomenal and we received so many amazing feedback. 700 women listened to these conversations and just said, oh my gosh, we want them. We want them more. We want to hear them again. We want to listen again. So much wisdom there that we decided that we would go, we're going to play some of those conversations in the next several months on the Brave Enough show. So If you know a woman in 2020 or 2021, who's like, Hey, I need some encouragement. I need some wisdom. I need some truth bombs. I need some hope. (laughs) Encourage her to listen to the brave enough show. Share that message because here we go with some amazing conversations. I hope you are going to love it. In season three, episode six, we revisit the 2020 brave enough elevate summit. When Sasha interviewed professor of medicine at the Mayo clinic, Dr. Julia Files. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shulkut. So honored today to have an amazing woman in medicine on the program today. And I'm hoping that you are going to be encouraged and inspired. I think it's really, really important to have women share their experiences at every step of their career. And Dr. Julia Files today is coming on. She's a professor, a full professor at Mayo, which is not an easy feat to achieve. One of the most premier medical institutions in our world today. And what I, and besides the fact that she has been, had an extraordinary successful clinical career, she has also published and well-published articles and books in the area and the arena of gender equity in medicine. And if that wasn't enough, In the last several years, she has founded AMWA Ignite, which basically has created education and modules for the next generation of women coming up in medicine. Most women who are professors and have made it, so to speak, don't typically reach back and, and think about how they can serve the younger generation, but she has. So I asked her to come on today because I know that her career was not um, easy and it didn't come without obstacles and challenges that she's had to overcome. So I'm so honored to have you here today to share with us. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Sasha. I really appreciate it. It's, it's a great chance to chat about things that I've experienced. And in my family, we always laugh. I have the Irish gift of gab, so I love to talk. And I'm <laughs> happy to share my experiences um, you know, I was, I was interested in the title you gave to our chat today, which is have the career you want or how, what, what was it again? Uh, uh, building a career, career without regret. Right, right. So I, I really reflected on that because, you know, we all have regrets. So to, to go without any regret is unrealistic, but regrets can can be a tool for resilience. It, you know, if you have a regret about something, then you need to reflect on it and then build on it and move ahead. We can't live our life in the rearview mirror. We have to look forward. And 
What's happened to us in 2020 is really awakening all of us to that fact. The rear view mirror doesn't exist anymore. We cannot go back to business as usual. So we have to thrive in a new environment filled with challenges and filled with uncertainties and lots and lots of burdens for women in medicine. So I think this is a good time to take a pause and, and talk and think about things. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is that when we enter into medicine, when we start as pre-med students and then get into medical school and then move on to residency, it's a lot like the military. You have to show up, be there and perform, but you don't really have to think outside of the construct because the external drivers are there to hold you in frame and keep you moving forward. And that structure sort of evaporates when you become an attending physician. And when you're an attending physician, your career is basically your responsibility. You have to make it what you want. And so I think that women need to understand a few things. First of all, we don't have the same trajectory as men. We know that women become very productive in their 40s and 50s because they have arisen out of childbearing. Um, we also know that we are told, oh, you can't have it all. You just can't have it all. And I think that's so negative because I don't believe that. I believe you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once, right? Mm -hmm. we have to, we Absolutely. Have to, we have to be very intentional about what we do and when we do it. And so I thought we could take a little bit of time discussing how to create your career, how to, how to bring it all together so that you can have what you want and have few regrets. I love that. So one of the things that I hear all the time with my members and, and, and women that take my courses and classes is they, they feel this immense pressure when they are starting a family or they're starting a career and just starting a career is it's, it's so, it's such a learning curve. You know, we often think we go to school, we become educated, we take these classes, we get these certifications and then we're, it's just going to launch. But the first five years of your career, you're figuring out a lot of different things. And that itself is almost like a class in itself. I mean, I, I remember just feeling like, oh gosh, I thought I was over the hard stuff. Now I have to figure out how to have a career. And I hear often from women, should I, I'm getting asked to do this thing. I want to do, I don't really want to do that, but I want to do something down the road that will, that I need to do this to get to that point. If I say no, because I just had a baby or I'm in the middle of raising toddlers or um, whatever the reason, I feel like I'll never be asked again and that opportunity will be gone. And I'm interested to hear what, what you would say to that. Sure, I think that's very valid. You know, women, I'm gonna speak in terms of academic medicine because that's where I have most experience, but women early in their careers are frequently tapped to be involved in low level committees, in organizational citizenship activities, in educational things. And I mean, we know that we have the statistics to prove that. And you're right, it doesn't always serve your goals. So I think the first thing women have to do is 
decide what is my end game here? What am I trying to achieve? Then the next question is, how does this participation, this committee, this task fit into my plan to achieve my goal? And if the person thinks that it doesn't fit into their goal, a great phrase is to say, thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity. I've given it a lot of consideration. What I can do is, and you're not saying no, but you are structuring the can do and the willingness and the positivity mm. into a channel that fits your plan. And again, I love that. Yeah. And again, what I always tell my mentees, one of the things you have to be very careful about is balancing service to self and service to the institution. And in the first five years of career, we tend to do a lot of service to institution mm -hmm. and we forget our own careers. And our own careers are sitting in the filing drawer, an unfinished research project, an unfinished paper. How many unfinished projects <clears throat> do we have? And then you have to also assess the currency of the realm. What is the currency in your situation? Is it number of surgical cases? Is it um, number of peer-reviewed publications? Is it leadership? What is the currency? And you need to be sure that you're current on the currency and that your bank account is filled with what you need to advance to where you want to go. Right. And, and that's so smart because I love how you framed it as in, as uh, not turning down something, but what you can do. And I say this to women all the time when they say, I've been asked, I, I serve on, because I coach a lot of women that are burned out and moving them from, how do we get out of this place? And most of the time we have to quit service activities because women are committed to a hundred million service activities that literally get them nothing but a line on their CV, nothing else. Right. And so they're always like, well, how do I withdraw? How do I pull back? How do I say I'm not doing this anymore? And I say, it's a thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I've, I've developed these skills. I'm now moving on to my new goal. Not an I'm sorry. It's never an I'm sorry. Right. When you give up a service project, you don't apologize. You've been serving. That's like saying, I'm sorry for giving you my free hours for the last 10 years. I'm no longer doing that. That's, it should be a thank you. Thank you for this great opportunity. I've learned these communication skills or I met these people through this volunteer. I'm now stepping away to pursue other goals, period. No, I'm sorry. No apology. Because so many times, we, we say yes to these activities very early in our career thinking, I'm going to work really hard. Somebody's going to notice me as a leader. Somebody's going to pick me. And we know that's not true. It, that that's would be true. awesome if it happened. But statistically, we know it's not going to happen to you. Yeah. So I think we have to really hone down on those service activities because they're competing for direct time that you could be publishing, doing a project or spending time with your family, quite frankly, if you don't wanna do the other things. Absolutely. And one thing I would add to that, thank you, is a list of the accomplishments that I had done in that position. Because they don't know and they don't remember. There is very, very little institutional memory for what you have done. So as you back out, you want to just remind them 
what you have done to move that position from where it was when you started to where it was when you finished. And That's great. So self-advocacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then that gets to the next point, which is if your personal goal is leadership or a, a certain position or whatever it is, you're not going to get there without sponsorship. And sponsorship is different from mentorship. So let's take a minute to talk about those two different things. So mentorship, a mentor is a wise elder, someone who is further down the road of life than you, who can imbue you with skills that they've learned along the way and through the school of hard knocks so that you will not hear the knock at the door and know it's the hard knock. It's the door of opportunity, right? Sponsorship is a person with political capital who's willing to put that capital to work to boost you up. So I love you, want, that. you need both in your career. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I think that um, another thing that I just was speaking with someone yesterday for this um, amazing summit we're doing, and I've had the most incredible conversations with women. And one of them said, um, I didn't realize until I became a leader how tiring it is to be the only woman. And when I was in my, and she said, when I was in my first five, seven years out, I looked up to several women that were in those roles and I judged them for not helping me more. And she's like, and then I became that solo woman leader at this level and just surviving and just having enough strength to speak up and use my voice by myself in the C-suite every day was so exhausting. I didn't have the energy to pull other women up. And she's like, now I see how lonely it is. Can you speak to that? Because I think that is, there is a disconnect oftentimes in our generation of, of women leaders. And I think that it's so important that we support wherever we are, that we at this level support the women that are up here um, and vice versa. How can you just speak to your own experience of that as someone who's been doing this for several years? Well, and I have never been in the highest levels of leadership. Let's be very clear about that. That was never one of my career goals. I have been a division chair for my division and those are very difficult jobs. And if that is what you want to do, you have to carefully consider what it means. Leadership positions require a lot of HR work, as you know, and HR is very difficult and we don't have any training in it, physician leaders, it's, it's hard to do. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I have admired from a male colleague, as I've watched him flourish in his career, is that he was very careful to build his circle of influence outside of his home institution. And that was very interesting to watch because he became a world expert in his field. He was revered at his home institution and he was very calculated in that. And I would, I would encourage other women who are looking to have leadership in their home institution to work on their external reputation as well, because it does nothing but bolster what you can do in your home institution. And 
I hate to say it makes you bulletproof, but it does give you a little extra protection from the naysayers. And you can find other women in similar positions that you're you know, aspiring to outside of the institution. So you may be the only woman in your department or in your institution, but there are others like you out there. So organizations like the American Medical Women's Association or specialty um, associations, you have to seek it out and you have to even create your own community. And with our new technology with Zoom and coffee chats that we can do and wine night on Zoom, that's how you can find others who can give you advice where you won't have any harm come from it, where you can be very honest about the struggles that you're having. So I love that. I love, I love this advice because this is how, and many people may not know this, but this is how I built my career in academia. Right. I was, you know, for the first five years of my career, we had no permanent chair. So it was very, I had very little um, permission or ability or mentorship sponsorship. And I quickly sought out that through my medical society, which I, you know, am now the program chair for our annual meeting. I've been on committees for a decade. I have really grown through collaborations um, that have led to publications. And just as you said, I've really grown at, up in academia through those national connections. Um, it's possible to do, it's totally possible to do, even if you're in a very small institution or you're the only one that is interested in this specific thing. Um, it does take some vulnerability. It takes some, it takes some putting yourself out there. You know, I remember going to my first meeting and just going up to a couple people and saying, can I have coffee with you? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I want to publish this paper. Can you give me advice? Or I want to speak at this conference. How, how do I do that? And they all said yes. Every single one of the people said yes and give, have given me such great advice and connection over the years. So I think it's one of the things you said at the very beginning of our talk is we have to invest in our own career. We have to build our own career so that it can be one without regrets. Right. Can you share maybe a struggle, a challenge, an, an obstacle you had in your career, which I'm sure you've had many, that taught you a valuable lesson that you are applying now, you apply now in 2020? Oh, absolutely. I have so many. I could talk for three hours. <laughs> um, first of all, when I came to Mayo Clinic, I, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I've arrived. This is amazing. I want to be academic. I want to research. I want to publish. And for five to eight years, all I did was clinical work. I had no mentorship. I had no guidance. I was a drone in the hive. And it was very discouraging. And one day I, and I was very, you know, I was raising three, three small children and, you know, I mean, just everything. And I, I gave a presentation to um, our local, to the ACP here locally on medicine, motherhood, and madness. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> and I talked about, you know, this was before people were talking about it. And I was very passionate about it and, and got a lot of good feedback. And one of my colleagues came up to me and said, what a great presentation. That should be a paper. And I just had a blank stare. I go, well, how would you do that? And she said, well, you've got the slides. Turn it into a paper. Give me the slides. So I gave her the slides. Three days later, we had a rough draft of a manuscript. And my eyes were opened to academic writing. It was many years ago. Um, and I've always remembered that. And the lesson is this. 
whatever you do, make it count twice or make it count mm. three times. So if you give a presentation, if you're doing a PowerPoint slide presentation, which many of us do, if you're teaching residents or whatever it is, every slide that you make, put the reference on there. And you mm. automatically have an outline for a paper. And papers mm. can be published always. You just have to find the right place. You have to go low enough on the tree. But the, the, um, the process of writing a paper and managing a bibliography and following instructions to authors and going through the painful process of peer review is a learning experience and it sharpens your knife for the bigger projects. You're not going to jump in and do a randomized controlled trial, multi-center, you know, you're not gonna start there. You have to start somewhere. So make your work count twice. And then if you have an area of interest that you would like to pursue from a research standpoint or an academic standpoint, a great place to start is to find like-minded people and develop a writing group, maybe two or three. Beyond four, it gets unwieldy. Mm -hmm. Prior to starting, negotiate everything up front. Who's the first author? Who's the last author? Right. Who are we responsible for? because that's where you can get into a lot of conflict. So you have to do that up front. Then once you pick your topic, you write a review article about the topic that establishes you and your group in the space. And in the process of writing the review and reviewing the world literature, you will develop a number of research questions. It just happens. You will find the holes in the body of literature. And then you move on from there. And the final piece of advice that I have regarding academic progress is this. And this comes from my colleague, Janice Blair, who was the first professor of medicine who was a woman in Mayo Clinic, Arizona. And her advice was this, do one thing every day. Uh-oh. I can't hear you either. Should we start over? I can't hear you and you can't hear me, right? I can hear you now and you can hear now me now. You. What happened? Okay, so let's just uh, pick it up from your friend who- oh, Okay, so- a good friend of mine, Janice Blair, was the first professor of medicine who was a woman at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And her advice is this, do one thing every day for your career. Mm, one thing every day. Yes. And it can be something as simple as send an email, find a reference, write a sentence, do one thing. And you I love that. Yeah. that. Can you repeat it one more time? Do, so it's do one thing every day for your career. One thing every day. That's awesome. And it can be a five minute task. It can be a one minute task. We just, what we tend to do is we'll pull out a manuscript and we'll work like a fiend for three or four hours and then we'll get worn out and other things will happen. We'll put it away. And then a week later we'll bring it out and we'll be like, Oh, I don't even know where yeah. to begin. Right. Yes. And yeah. Her second piece of advice for writing is this, 
before you close your computer, go to the very top of the paper and embed a to-do list. Next steps, what you need to do next, because your train of thought is there. And when you put it away and come back, you have to regroup and it takes about 15 I, minutes to regroup. That. Such smart advice. That is so smart. You know, I recently read um, uh, a book by Stephen Covey who said basically the most successful people in the world, no matter where they're, what they are in, tech, science, education, business, um, they do, they have, they have short goals every day. They have three things they want to achieve. And maybe one of those things is having dinner with your family. Right. And what it does is when you give yourself three simple achievable goals a day, like I'm going to network with it, or I'm going to send an email on this, or I'm going to write for 30 minutes, and then I'm going to have a meal with my family today. If you give yourself three goals that you can achieve, what it does is it, it, it increases your, the confidence you have in yourself because you start keeping and making promises to yourself. And that allows you to be super productive. And so, you know, I used to be the person on Sunday night that would make a list of like, 50 things. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my list, I have to get done. I have to get 50 things done this week. And, and that's actually a really bad way because the feeling of achievement, self-achievement is not there. So I've started doing like ever I'll, I'll make my list on Sunday, but it's like three things a day that I want to achieve. And when I get to Friday, I'm like, wow, I achieved all those things. You know, it's a much more efficient way. So do you use uh, written to-do list or do you use digital things? I'm old school. I got to have it right in front of me. Um, I love this planner called the passion planner. It's made by women and it's really empowering because it has like, you know, statements and encouraging quotes and things throughout it. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I don't have any buy-in in the company or anything, but I love the passion planner. Um, and I'm just, I think, I think writing down orders your thinking and it I does. See it in front of me. So I've been using, I've used every kind of planner, you know, but now I'm using a bullet journal because I can do what I want. Oh, um, I love that. I love yeah, the bullet. You just draw your own, but you know, then you have to have the time to draw your own stuff. But um, so let me, let me just say one other thing. I mean, I sound like, you know, I'm like Miss Academic, you know, doctor, 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 but my, my self-worth and my identity is in my role as a mother. So I've been married for a very long time. I have three children. Um, I know the struggles we all go through. I went through all of it. Um, I've had a lot of doubt and regret about, oh, I miss this and I miss that. And oh, what did I do? And I had a conversation with uh, one of my daughters recently and it was very heartfelt and very hope inspiring to younger women. And I said to her, you know, I just feel so bad that I miss so many of your things. And, you know, I feel like I, your childhood went by me and here we are. And I'm just so sad about that. And she just looked at me incredulously and she goes, mom, seriously, you were always there. You were there too much. How, did, how can you even think that? And, and so then I thought about that and I realized that, you know, when I was with my children, I was a hundred percent there. And sure, I missed the Mother's Day tea at the preschool once, and I can't get over that. But um, they don't remember that. They remember when I was there. So to my younger colleagues, remember this. You are the best mother your children could ever have because you're their mother. And don't forget that. And you're doing the best job you can, and it will all work out. And <laughs> 
I'm getting tearful. But I mean it. I mean it. I needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that encouragement. Um, and, when you that. Are, and when you are feeling so out of balance and so overwhelmed and hopeless and pulled, remember the best phrase that I have come across, or we invented, my colleagues and I, you know, think of yourself on a tightrope and you're walking. And all you can hope for is graceful imbalance. You're going to get pulled this way, then you're going to get pulled that way, but you're going to come back. You're going to self-write and you'll live to fight another day and you'll be okay. And when you're the lowest that you feel, remember, it's, it's not going to stay there. You're going to be better. And kids are really forgiving. You can have a bad day with your kids and then the next day it's a whole new adventure and they forgive your mistakes. They forgive your yelling. I'm Irish and I yell. Um, <laughs> it and you move on, you know? I and love you, this. I true. love this. It's, it's true. So and, you know, when, you know, God gives you a tiny little baby who's perfect and you're overwhelmed with how much it requires. And then they become toddlers and it's even harder. And then, you know, they have this period where they're lovely and you're their everything. And then they become teenagers and they're snarky. <laughs> Yeah, I have those. I have those right now. Oh, I and they roll their eyes and you're so stupid and you are coming to the nadir of your intelligence. I want you to know that. And, and you, will, you will start to get smarter as they get older. And when they're in their 20s, suddenly you're pretty smart. And my one daughter said to me, my God, I wish I was, I knew as much now as I did when I was 16 because my God, I would be so smart, right? They think they know everything. <laughs> It's just their job and you just have to say whatever and keep going. Well, I love that we've talked about so many things. We've talked about medicine. We've talked about motherhood. We're talking about the madness of it all. I would love, I'm asking every woman that I'm having a conversation with, what has been the biggest lesson in 2020 that you have learned from this year? That I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been sheltering in place at our house, going to work. Um, doing nothing and we don't need money we don't need vacations we don't you know what you need is your family and your health and that's it and life can a simplified life is much better i think i love that, I love that. okay so looking forward to 2021 what piece of advice would you give all the women that are watching today oh be true to yourself, figure out what you want and get it because you can have it. You get to decide what your life looks like and every day is a gift. Don't waste it and keep yourself on track. Hold yourself accountable to what you want and make goals across every domain of your life. Take this time when you're home, make vision boards. Indulge yourself in hobbies that you really enjoy. Do you see my little quilt? I do. I love it. It's gorgeous. Did you make that? Would you like a tour of my quilt? Here it comes. I would love it. Did you really make that? I did. You know, I had that pattern in my possession for almost eight years. And I finally one day got a friend and I said, you know, I've always wanted to do this. And she said, let's do it. So we split the alphabet and I cut out two sets of A's and she started at the Z's and, and we did it. We didn't know how to do it, but with a YouTube video, you can do anything, right? <laughs> I 
love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I just feel like I had coffee with a, a good dear friend and I encouraged and inspired me and brought me to tears with your comments about motherhood totally hit me in the heart. And so well, Sasha, I know, if we had known each other sooner, we'd be really good friends. I, mean, I know, I know. I, I um, this conversation was amazing. I know it was. It was so you're amazing. Doing, what you're doing for other women is so important and thank you for doing it. If I had had you in my life early on, my life would have been richer and better. You know, I, I really think that you're courageous. I know the struggles that you had, and you should be very proud of that. Well, thank you. Women thank you. I mean so much. No, really. It's <laughs> so true. And um, I thank you for it. And thank you for including me because I have a lot to say. <laughs> you do. You do. You do. And I can't wait to collaborate more. And I'm just so thankful for your wisdom today and your encouragement and your inspiration and all the things you brought us. And I'm just overjoyed with uh, knowing you and all the things that you are doing to help the next generation. So tell us, for people listening, how can they find out more about AMWA Ignite? Because this is a really exciting, sure. awesome well, organization that you founded. So I've been very interested my whole career in mentorship because I didn't have any. Um, and so I've, I've created a lot of mentoring programs along the way. And you know, as we've progressed along in this century, we, you know, burnout has become a huge issue for women. And um, so I've, I've done a lot of work in that arena too. And recently um, we've published a book on burnout in women physicians. So it's the first book on that. And it was, um, I was actually just an editor. I co-edited it with my colleague, Cynthia Stonington, who is a psychiatrist and brilliant. Um, and we had contributions from, from authors across the country, women in many different fields. And I thought I was informed and I wasn't. I mean, it's amazing the struggles that women have. So it got me thinking and it really got me. So it was last summer, actually, summer of 2019. I started thinking and I thought, you know, if we're really going to address burnout, if we wait till women are burned out, it's too late. We mm -hmm. need to give them the skills that they need to survive and thrive in this difficult, but rewarding profession early on. And my daughter was entering medical school and I thought, you know, I need to do something. And so I came up with this wacky cracky idea that I would create a program for women medical students. And I pitched it to the American Medical Women's Association. So I had the idea in June. I have a lot of stuff that I've done. So, you know, I can kind of pull it all together. And um, I brought it to uh, Nicole Sandu, who's the president of AMWA, and Ken, who's the executive director. And in September, they said to me, yes, we think it's a good idea. And we want it in every medical school. And so I was happy. I was already piloting in two medical schools without permission because I was sure it was going to work. Because so you are a woman that gets it done. And that's what we do. <laughs> Here's what we're offering. So, uh, uh, and then COVID came and I was depressed for a month. And then I resurrected myself like a phoenix. And we've now gone from an in-school situation to a virtual platform, of course, which is what we have to do. And actually, I think the reach will be broader and better. So we're offering a curriculum that um, talks about all of the things you need to know to be successful as a woman physician, that things that aren't taught in medical school. Mm -hmm. The first thing, reproductive life planning. 
-hmm. You and I should probably do a thing about that because yeah. women need to, need to know that they have to plan for their reproduction and they end up at 37 infertile with no children. Right. right. Um, we talk about mentorship and sponsorship, sexual harassment, intersectionality, the impact of um, race and gender, mm -hmm. um, gender inequality, all the things, you know, male allies, all these things that we've kind of touched upon today right. in a formal curriculum. So awesome. That is so I, awesome. I'm a big believer that you can't just change the individual. We also need to change the culture of medicine. And the only way to do that is with data. So we have a research arm. We already have four research initiatives underway that we believe will be culture changing. And we want to engage medical students in the research process so that they have mentorship and publications. That's so, so awesome. Research so arm, curricular arm. Um, we have a coaching arm. Do you know Bonnie Koo? Mm-hmm. Yep. Monica, who is our chair of coaching, and we are going to offer coaching to students. And it will probably be group Zoom coaching. You know, that's still underway. I just, uh, I just came up with the idea to have a wellness channel. So we're going to do wellness as well. That's probably. amazing. Argavon Salas is going to do yoga for us. Um, and uh, that's amazing. That's so how can women, if they're listening and they want to offer their services or they want to help fund how can they is the best way just to reach out to you via email yeah they can reach out to me in my email we also are working on our website which is going to be housed on the amwa website we have a, a holding page right now that if you go to the amwa homepage and you go to the search bar and type in ignite we will come up but we don't have a tab yet um we're hoping to have that done by the end of the month our formal launch date is September 1. We will start doing our Zoom educational programs on, um, in September. One other thing that we're offering, because we know a lot of our audience are, are millennials and they like small, really well put together things. It's a little section called Nuggets of Knowledge and it will be a short blurb with a link to something else. And Sasha, you wanna talk about your blurb because you're doing one. <laughs> Yeah, so I had the wonderful opportunity to speak uh, for a few minutes on confidence and building your self-confidence, which was awesome. And it was a great, I'm super excited to just be able to share a little bit of wisdom. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on and you're doing so you're doing so much for women in mid-career. You're doing amazing things for women at the beginning of their career and you just inspired and encouraged me. So it is an honor for to have you on. Can I here. say one more thing, Sasha? Yes, yes. One more thing, because I didn't bring it up and I forgot. One of my crowning achievements was my paper on speaker introductions at Internal Medicine Grand. Oh Island, yes, a, a where paper we cited for years and years, where we proved that women were not addressed by their professional title. So as we end today, I implore your followers to stand up for their name. Don't be a provider. You are a physician. You are a doctor. Claim your name. I love please, it. Please claim, claim your name. I love it. So many great, so many good pearls. We're going to have you all over the highlight reel, Dr. Files. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank okay. you so much. Thank you for coming on. And if you are watching, I will see you in the next session.